Thanks be to God indeed. Thank you so much for that, Anne. Please do keep your Bibles open in front of you or the passage open in front of you because we're going to be working through these verses together. So as we've been saying all the way through this, it's so great to have you with us today. And as we go through this parable about the kingdom of God being like a wedding banquet, we're praying that God would speak to us, that he'd challenge us, that he'd inspire us, and that we'd hear the call afresh from him to join in with what he's doing in this city and in this region or wherever it is that you are watching from today. So we're going to get stuck right in. So keep the Bibles open, as I've said. Jesus is speaking in parables, verse 1. We'll pick up the parable as Jesus tells it in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet that a king has prepared for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. It is like a party. Now, those listening to Jesus tell this parable would have been familiar with this. Because Jesus was telling the parable to some religious leaders, to some people who understood what was going on in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there are lots of passages that depict the kingdom of heaven, depict the rule and reign of God like a party, like a banquet. So look at what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. That is the prophetic picture in Isaiah of what the rule and reign of God looks like. The kingdom of God is a place of celebration. It's a feast. And like any celebration, like any party, like any feast, it has a host. And the host, of course, is God. The king plays the role of God in this parable. Now, the party that God is throwing, just like the party that the king is throwing, they have a reason for a party. And the reason in the parable is that the son, the king's son, is getting married. And of course, the reason that God throws a party, the reason that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet, is because God has sent his son to be united with his bride, the church. Now, in the parable, like any party, the king invites people to come and be part of the festivities, to come and join him at the party. And that's what we see in verse 3. In verse 3, the king sends his servants out to those who've been invited to the wedding party to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Now, this is a really big surprise. Why would you turn down the invitation to go to the wedding party that the king of the land is throwing? Why would you say no to attending this royal wedding? It would have been the place to be. It would have been the place where everyone in society who was, had anything about them would have been at. If you were invited to such a party, you wouldn't say on getting the invitation, mm, just let me check my diary. Let me check that I've not got a hair appointment that day. Let me check that I'm not getting my nails done. Let me check that I shouldn't be in the library revising. Of course, you wouldn't do any of those things. If you got invited to the party of all parties, the royal wedding, you drop everything and go. Now, when I was studying in Cambridge, this was eight years ago now, 
I got a very special invite one day from Buckingham Palace to attend a drinks reception with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. So the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge had just got married and they were coming to Cambridge on their first ever visit to the city since having the title of Duke and Duchess of Cambridge bestowed on them. And I got an invite to go and meet them at, this, at a drinks reception to welcome them to the city. Now, the only people who got an invite to this drinks reception, there were six people from each college at the university who got invited, and I was one of them. Now, do you think that when I got that wedding invitation, uh, wedding invitation, that invitation to that drinks reception, sorry, with um, Will and Kate, as I now know them, do you think that I said, mm, let me just check that I'm not busy in the library that, that day? Let me just check that I've not arranged to go out for a coffee with so-and-so. Or let me just check that I've not got myself booked in for a hair appointment. No, of course I didn't do any of those things. I absolutely went. I was absolutely going to go. Now, in the parable that Jesus is telling, though, those that have been invited to this royal wedding, to this wedding banquet, say no. Can you believe it? They say no to the king. Now, verse 4. The king is not happy that some of his guests are not coming to the party. But he's persistent, and so he sends even more of his staff out, and he says to his staff, tell those that I've invited, look, the feast is ready. I've got everything prepared. The wine is open, the choice calf has been slaughtered and butchered, it's cooking on the fire. I've done everything for you, just turn up and let's party together. All you have to do is turn up. Well, in verses five and six, those who've been invited after having this invitation reissued to them yet again begin to make their excuses. One says, I've got to go to the fields to work. Another says, I've got a business to look after today. They begin to make their excuses. Now, as I've said, who would spend a day in the field or a day at work in the office when you could be going to the party of the year? Now, what's even worse is that some of those who've been invited to go to this, to this wedding banquet turn on the messengers, turn on the servants who've issued the invitation, and instead of just saying no, they begin to beat the servants, and some of them are even murdered. Now, what on earth is going on here? Can you imagine if I tracked down the person that sent my invite to meet Will and Kate all the way back to Buckingham Palace, found out who put the stamp on my envelope, and instead of just going to them and saying, I don't want to come to this event, murdering them instead. I mean, it seems completely shocking, doesn't it? Now, in verse 7, the king is absolutely enraged and sent his army in to deal with the murderers. Fair enough, they've declared battle on the king. They're basically engaging now in civil war. Now, in verses 8, 9, and 10, the king gives his servants yet another message. He says to them, those that I invited did not deserve to come. So go into the streets and go to the street corners and invite anybody that you can find. Now, this is really, really interesting because those listening to Jesus would have known that those who were initially invited to this royal wedding would have been the rich, the famous, the religious leaders, other members of the royal family wealthy landowners and all of the members of elite society. That's the way that these social events in the first century Near East worked. But now, 
The servants are to go into the street corners and invite anybody they can, the good as well as the bad. In other words, people that don't deserve to be there. The first group of people didn't deserve to be there. The second group of people don't deserve to be there, but they're going to be invited anyway. This good and gracious king is going to issue his invitation to them anyway. Now, the fact that the king tells his servants to go to the street corners is really interesting. In Jesus' time, the street corners were the place in the city where all the main roads leading into the city would converge. And at those places, you'd find everybody. You'd find young and old. You'd find Jew and Gentile. You'd find rich people and poor people. You'd find business people and sex workers. You'd find prostitutes. You'd find tax collectors. You'd find homeless people. You'd find people that lived in palaces. Absolutely everybody would converge at these street corners. In fact, if Newcastle was to have some street corners, one of them would be right outside our front door where lots of the roads into the city centre converge. Now, these are not the type of people that you'd expect to see at a royal wedding. Remember who Jesus is telling this parable to. There's lots of the religious leaders listening. Would they have expected the bad to turn up at a wedding thrown by the king? Absolutely not. They'd have been horrified at the thought of some of these people getting invited to this wedding banquet. The religious people at the time had very clear ideas about who was in, and who was out. And the types of people are now being invited to this wedding banquet were very much not in. The people you find on the street corner should not be getting this invitation. But invited they are, and then in verses 11, 12, and 13, the story takes a really interesting twist. So the wedding banquet is now full. And like any good host, the king comes to the party to greet his guests. That's what you do if you host the party. And he sees that there's somebody there who's not wearing the right clothes. They're not dressed in proper attire for a wedding. Now, the king is not happy about this. And so in verse 12, the king turns to this person and says, How did you get in? What are you doing at this royal wedding banquet? And the man doesn't have an answer. In fact, Jesus says that he's completely speechless. So in verse 13, the king says to his servants, get the man, tie him by hand and foot, and throw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what on earth is going on here? Why has this king thrown this man out for wearing the wrong clothes? I mean, after all, the king has just sent his staff out into the streets to invite the bad To invite everybody, surely none of them were expecting to turn up to a wedding that day. Surely lots of them were just wearing filthy rags. So why is it that this this one man is then thrown out into outer darkness? Surely none of them were prepared to turn up. Surely none of them were wearing a wedding outfit. You know, this wouldn't be the kind of affair... Cast your minds back for those of you that remember when Harry and Meghan got married a few years ago. I mean, all the news channels have major commentary teams just dedicated to looking at the outfits that celebrities wear as they walk up to the wedding. But these people would have had nothing. 
They were just coming as they were. So what on earth is going on here? Well, to make some sense of why this man was thrown out of the wedding banquet, why he was thrown out of the party, we need to look at this story in its original context. So in the first century Near East, if a king threw a party, if somebody who was high up in society threw a party, then what he would do is that he would provide wedding, he would provide all of the wedding clothes for all of his guests. Imagine that. Sam and Maddie got married here just a few weeks ago. Can you imagine, Maddie and Sam, if you had to buy everyone that came to your wedding an outfit? Imagine not having to choose what dress to wear or what tie is going to work. In, at these types of weddings, you didn't need to worry about that because the king clothed you on arrival. In other words, the king clothed his guests at his own expense. The king clothed his guests at his own expense. So this man wasn't thrown out because he was bad or because he was from the wrong place, because he was from the wrong side of the tracks. He wasn't thrown out because of the job that he had, because everybody on the street corners had been invited. He was thrown out because he'd rejected the king's offer to be clothed in a royal wedding outfit. Now, I suspect that this man was one of the earlier people who'd heard about the banquet and begun to make his excuses and begun to say that he couldn't turn up to the wedding. He had a haircut or whatever it was. But he suddenly saw loads of people coming from all over the streets up, to the, up towards the royal palace and suddenly he's got FOMO and he knows that he just has to be there. But he's no longer on the guest list. So instead of, going through, instead of going through the main door where everybody else would have been given a wedding outfit on arrival, he'd sneaked in some other way. He's rejected the king's offer, generous offer to be clothed at the king's expense, and he's tried to clothe himself at his own expense. He's come up in his own clothes. It's quite a story, isn't it? In verse 14, Jesus says, he ends the parable by saying this, many are invited, but few are chosen. And then the parable ends. Now, what does it mean for us today as we sit here in Newcastle, or you watch this online, wherever in the world you're watching this? What does it mean for us? How do we apply this to our lives today? Well, we've been celebrating a year since the launch of St. Thomas's today. And here at St. Thomas's, we have a very simple vision statement, and it's this. Following Jesus, building community, and loving Newcastle. Following Jesus, building community, and loving Newcastle. So let's just think about those things in relation to this parable, and how how does the scripture speak into these things today? So firstly, following Jesus. So remember that Jesus is telling this parable so that we might know something more about what the kingdom of God is like. It is like a wedding banquet that a king throws for his son. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a celebration thrown by God for his son Jesus Christ as he rescues and redeems people that he is uniting to himself. The kingdom of heaven 
is a party in which Jesus unites people through his saving work on the cross and in rising again to himself. Now, as I've already said, there are so many images in the Bible of the kingdom of heaven being like a party or like a wedding banquet. In fact, the last book of the Bible, of course, ends with a wedding. This amazing picture of the bride of Christ, that's the church, being united to Jesus forever. And so look, what God is saying through, his script, through the scriptures today is that God is inviting you. God is inviting many people to be part of this celebration. But here's the thing. It is not about what you have done. It is not about how good you are. It's not about how religious you are. It's not about how many times you've read the Bible. It's not about how many times you've prayed. It's all about God himself taking the initiative and giving you the invitation to this banquet. But being at this wedding banquet, being in the kingdom of heaven, means being there in the right clothes. It means being dressed for the occasion. But remember, in the parable, the person who was thrown out of the wedding banquet came dressed in his own clothes. He was not clothed at the king's expense. He was clothed at his own expense. Now, what Jesus is saying here is simply this. If we try and clothe ourselves at our own expense, if we think that we can try and get into the wedding celebration that is the kingdom of heaven on our own merit, by working harder, by having the right job, by doing X, Y, or Z, whatever it is that we think we need to do, then we can't. We will never be able to get in based on our own merit because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have strayed and gone away in the language of Isaiah. We must be clothed at God's expense. We must let him clothe us and put on us the robes of righteousness and salvation. And they're far more beautiful than anything that we could come up with by ourselves. So how does God clothe us at his own expense? The cross and the resurrection. Now, this was prophesied about the Messiah, that the Messiah, that Jesus would do this all the way through the Old Testament. Take Isaiah 61, verse 10. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. All the way through the Old Testament, you get these pictures of God's people being clothed by God himself. The New Testament uses the same kind of language when it talks about being saved. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for example, says this. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. For those of us that are following Jesus, in other words, we are clothed in the stuff that Jesus has. He literally puts it on us and we stand in those things. We've been clothed at the king's expense. God sent his son to the world to die on a cross, to exchange all of our imperfection for his perfection so that we might be free of the stuff that holds us back, free of the sin, free of our mistakes, free of the pain. He takes it on himself and rises to new life so that we too might experience resurrection life. We've been clothed at the king's expense. We don't have to try and clothe ourselves anymore because God clothes us. And that's what makes following Jesus the best thing. 
It's so tiring having to prove ourselves to other people all of the time. It's so tiring having to keep up a reputation. It's so tiring having to try and prove to God that, we're, that he should love us. We don't have to do any of those things. God clothes us at his expense. And when he looks at you, if you, be, if you believe and trust in Jesus, he looks at you with the same love and adoration and affection that he does his own son, Jesus Christ, because you've literally been clothed with Jesus. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The invitation is given to many, but faith seemingly only to a few. Don't say no to being clothed at God's expense. Now the man in the parable, when the king said, what are you doing here dressed like that? He was completely speechless, wasn't he? He didn't have an answer for why he was there. Now, if God was to ask you, what are you doing here? Imagine being at the end of your life and God saying, what are you doing here? How are you in? If your answer isn't Jesus right now as we think about that, then make sure that it is. Because you can't turn up saying, God, let me in because I've done X, Y, or Z. God, let me in because I've given so much to charity. God, let me in because I went to church every Sunday. God, let me in because I was nice to so-and-so. So -and -so. We're in only because of what Jesus has done for us. It's the most amazing, gracious, life-giving, loving invitation that has ever, ever been given. Paul put it really well when he wrote this in Galatians 6.14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true for us as a church community as we follow Jesus. May we boast about nothing except the stuff that God has done. May we boast about nothing except the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all because of him and it's all for him. Following Jesus is the most liberating, life-giving, amazing thing that you could ever do. Following Jesus. Secondly, building community. Now, this parable reveals the kind of community that the kingdom of God is. Who's in the final wedding celebration when it begins to start? All types of people are in. As I've already said, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, people from every nation under the sun. Now, do you see from this parable the kind of community that Jesus is building? It's diverse, and yet it's united around one thing. Or in fact, it's united around one God, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's united around the truth that's been revealed in Jesus Christ and being clothed in his righteousness. Now, we're called here at St. Thomas's to build this kind of community in Newcastle today. And never has community been so important. Never has feeling like you belong to some kind of family, family of faith, been so important. Over the past seven or eight months, I feel like this, I don't know if you feel like this, but over the past seven or eight months, it feels, doesn't it, as if community has been ripped from us a little bit. It hurts that we can only socialize with people 
that we live with. It hurts that we're in local lockdown and so can't go into each other's homes. It hurts that we can't spend more time with people. I think it's absolutely awful that we can't hug each other when we come into church. It's awful that we've not been able to have refreshments after church and do some community building just over a simple cup of coffee since the middle of March. It really hurts that we can't do small group in each each other's homes and instead we have to just use Zoom. It hurts that we can't be there physically for one another when we know that there's people going through pain or loss or hardship or suffering. It hurts that when we do prayer ministry, we can't lay hands on one another just as a sign that we're here together and that we're in it together as a community. This whole local lockdown thing is not nice. In fact, it's not been nice since we entered lockdown in March. And it's because we were created for community. We were created for community with God, and we were created for community with each other. And so when we have to physically distance, when we can't go into each other's homes, when we can't do small groups together, it hurts because we were made for communion with God and each other. But here's the thing. Even before the pandemic, I don't think community, just in the world in general, was great. The pandemic obviously hasn't helped. It's exposed a lot of things. But even before the pandemic, I don't think that community was fantastic. Do you know that for all of us who are sat here in church today, or if you're watching on the live stream, sociologists will tell you this, that we are the most connected generation that the world has ever known. We're the most connected generation the world has ever known. Now, that's true. If you think about it, People say that you're only three people removed in terms of social contacts from anybody else on the planet. You're only three people removed. Now that is mind-blowing to me, that we're so well connected. Most of us, well, lots of us, have thousands of contacts on Instagram, friends on Instagram, followers, whatever, Facebook friends, Twitter followers, Whatever it might be, we are so well connected. Yet sociologists will also tell you that we're the loneliest generation that has ever lived as well. Feelings of loneliness have increased and increased and increased. And this was happening before the pandemic hit. I know I've mentioned this before, but I can remember reading in the Tesco Food magazine of all places that people spend now more time looking at a smartphone in a day than they do talking to their best friend or their housemates or their spouse. Yes, it's been difficult for the past eight months, but it's been difficult for a while. Now, what this parable reveals is that we need each other. God did not invite you as a single entity. He did not invite me as a single entity to the wedding banquet. He invited us as a community. He invited all of those whom he is saving. We need each other. We need each other. We were built for community. Church is not the same if you choose to opt out. Church is not the same if I choose to opt out. Your small group isn't the same if you're not there. We need each other because we were created for 
community. And as I've said, the community that Jesus is building is the most wonderful thing. Where else would you find a community of people that disagree on politics or on the football team that they support or on you name whatever it, you know, whatever it is? And yet come together, submit to the truth of the scriptures and worship God together despite their differences. Where else do you get that? And yet sometimes in the UK, it looks like the church is just a middle class phenomena. But the church is for everybody. The church exists as much for its non-members as it does its members. We're to build Christian community with everyone that Jesus is drawing to himself. Now here at St. Thomas's, we're absolutely committed to building community, to following Jesus together as family. We're committed to being your family. We're committed to going through the mess that we're going through at the minute together, praying for one another, supporting one another, loving one another. And yes, that's incredibly difficult at the moment, given all the restrictions that we're under. And yet we can still be community. We can still be family together. And let me just say, if you're here and you're going through a really difficult time at the moment, and I know for lots of us are, we're feeling isolated and anxious and lonely, wondering why we've returned to Newcastle maybe after the summer. If there's anything that we can do at all here at St. Thomas's, however big, however small, please let us know. We are here for you. The church is called to model family. That's one of the main images, isn't it, in the New Testament of describing the body of Christ. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. We're here together. But we're committed together as a community to following Jesus and seeing Newcastle and the region transformed. So the third part of our vision statement is loving Newcastle. Now, in the parable that we've looked at, Matthew 22, 1 to 14, the king, God, sends his servants out onto the street corners, to the highways and the byways, to invite people to the wedding feast. Now, what does that mean for us as we read this parable together as a community today? Well, it means this, that we're called to do the same. Remember, Jesus was telling this story to the religious leaders of his day. They were supposed to be out telling everybody about the kingdom of God. They were supposed to be out explaining the scriptures and God's love and, his, and the messianic hope and all of that stuff to everybody. And today, that's what we're called to do. We are called to love Newcastle by telling people the great feast that awaits everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. We're called to go and say to everybody who will listen, come to the feast, come and see, come to Jesus, be clothed at God's expense, stop working 
yourself, to clothe yourself in your own righteousness, it will never work. Instead, God has offered to clothe you in his perfection and his righteousness at his expense. Now, we've been called to do that in a number of different ways, which I'll just quickly go through now. And as I go through these, be thinking about how God might be inviting you to join in with what is going on here in this fantastic city, in this amazing region. We're to love Newcastle, just looking at the parable and seeing, seeing what's going on there, but also thinking about what we've been asked to do by the Church of England, thinking about what God has given us to do here at St. Thomas's. We're to love Newcastle, firstly, by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to go out to the street corners, to the highways and the byways, to our university friends, into our lecture halls when they're open, to our workmates, to our flatmates, to the people on our streets and say, come and see. There is a God who loves the world so much that his son came in the person of Jesus and died and rose again so that you could be free. Come and see. We're to love Newcastle by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Secondly, as St. Thomas says, we feel a particular call to reach people that the Church of England, at least, doesn't typically reach. That's young people in particular. Did you know that nationally, less than 1.4% of young adults go to church? Half of all young adults that attend the church in the United Kingdom go to church in central London. University students are now the largest unreached people group in the UK. If you're a university student, you're statistically the least likely person to be in church on a Sunday. God has asked us to reach these two amazing universities that are literally on our front door, on our back door, and invite people to the wedding banquet and to the feast that God is preparing the stuff that we did this morning with tiny teas reaching young people that's part of our call too and it's wonderful to see some of um some students getting involved in that and throwing that out this morning will and becca thank you so much youth the work that joel and alicia have been doing down in biker and walker with mine these group of Anglican churches serving some of the poorest parts, not just of our city, but of the whole country, has just been amazing. It's been wonderful to see so many of you getting involved. And that's another thing that God has called us to here at St. Thomas's and that the bishops and the Church of England have asked us to do, to work across the region, to work with other churches to resource mission and ministry. As I've said, we're seeing that in Biker and Walker with Joel, Alicia and the team with mine. But we're also having some really exciting conversations across the region at the moment about how we might partner with people to resource mission and ministry. Fourthly, we're also called to do this by training and developing leaders. Now, this is about everybody. So one of the things that you'll often hear me say is that if you're following Jesus you are in full-time ministry. I do not like this dichotomy of the professional Christians are in full-time ministry, the vicar, it's Ben and Lee are in full-time ministry, the rest of us aren't. No, if you're baptised, if you're following Jesus, you are in full-time. You're you're a full-time Christian 
you're in full-time Christian ministry wherever it is that God has called you to, whether that be the workplace, retail, education, politics, the arts, whatever it is that God has called you to, you do that thing as if God has called you as a missionary to that place, as a full-time Christian minister. We're all in this together. But we're also called to train church planters. That's one of the, and I'll come on to this in just a minute. We're called to raise up a group of people, multiple groups of people that will go out across the region and start new churches. What I love to think about is that some of you have joined us in the last 12 months. Some of you have even come today. In the future, we'll be part of starting new churches across this region. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And we've been asked to do this. It's not like we're just making this stuff up. We've been asked to do this by the bishops. We, we're called to train interns. We've got our first one ever, Ellie, Ellie Black here at the front. Fifthly, we're called to build on our past. Now, the Northeast has an amazing Christian heritage. Just up the road on Holy Island... Lindisfarne was the place where the whole of the north of England, possibly the nation, was evangelised from in the 5th, 6th, 7th centuries. From that place, just up the road from Newcastle, church planters were sent out, people that led houses of prayer, people that started up training up evangelists and releasing more people to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you like, it was the original resource church. The whole resource church thing is not a new idea. They've been going forever. We've just been asked to play our part today. Where we're sat right now in St. Thomas's, there was a move of God in the 1820s that saw thousands upon thousands of people saved. In the 19th century, revi- the 19th century revival that swept across the UK, in the northeast, many people think that it started here, right where you were sitting. There's a plaque, you can't see it, just behind this black screen that talks about how a pair of Anglican ministers turned up at St. Thomas's and at first the congregation was small and unstable. That's what it says on the plaque. But they started to preach the indefectible truth of scriptures is what it says. And within a few years, the average congregation at St. Thomas's had gone from a handful to one year in the um, late, uh, late 1820s, early 1830s, 2,398 was the average Sunday attendance in this place. Nearly a thousand of those people were aged under 18. God has done it before. He can do it again. Newcastle was one of the most popular pilgrimage sites in the whole of the United Kingdom in the medieval times. For those of you that have um, just moved to the city, those of you that have lived here for a while will know this, one of the main streets that goes from here down to the river is called Pilgrim Street. And it's called Pilgrim Street because pilgrims would flock to Newcastle to go to a part of the, part of the city known as Jesus's Mound, the Mound of Jesus. Today, it's known as Jesmond. Literally starts about 200 yards over there. And the reason that people were flocking in their masses was because so many people were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesmond became the place where many people were baptised, many people encountered the gospel for the first time, repented and believed, many were healed. And so people from all over the nation began to travel here. And they'd stop at a little church called St Thomas's, which back then used to be down on the quayside. It moved. St Thomas's has been here since 1170. It moved here in 1821. People would stop 
at the quayside at a little church called St. Thomas's and pray. They'd then stay on Pilgrim Street at many of the hotels that propped up to cope with the number of pilgrims before making their way to Jesmond where many people encounter the good news of Jesus for the first time. God has done it before. He can do it again. Isaiah 43. Remember the things that I've done. Jesus, uh, God says to the people, but then he says, forget them because I'm going to do even greater things. And one of the things that we're believing for is that the best is yet to come. Sixthly, we're called to be a beacon of light in the centre of this amazing city. I'm delighted to say that just um, in the week we submitted um, a faculty application to completely reorder this church building. We're hoping to start works in early 2021. Now we don't reorder the building because church is a building. But we pray that this space might become a place where we can do all of the things that we're talking about and it can become a beacon of light for the region as we work with others. This isn't about St. Thomas's. We'll work with anyone who will work with us. There's so many amazing churches in this city and we're just joining in with what God is already doing. But we've been asked to be a beacon of light right here where God has called us to in the city. And lastly, church planting. The specific call on St. Thomas's is to be a church that starts new congregations and new expressions of Christian worship right across the region. Now, in many ways, it still feels like we're planting St. Thomas's. We've only been going a year, and for most of that, we've been in lockdown. So it feels like we're still planting St. Thomas's, but in the coming years, we will be sending out teams of people to start new churches across the city and across the region. That is what God has called us to. And we would love for you to join us on the adventure. Whether you're a student, whether you've moved here for work, whether you've just started coming to church, we would love for you to be a part of this with us. This isn't my thing. This isn't the bishop's thing. This isn't the staff team's thing. It's all of us as we follow Jesus, build community and love Newcastle together so will you join in will you join in with what God is doing in building the kingdom of heaven here in this place so how do we respond well firstly following Jesus Do you need to turn to Jesus today? Perhaps you're here and you're just checking out church. And if you are, you're so welcome. We love that you are here. But do you need to turn to Jesus today? Have you realized as we've gone through these verses together that you've been trying to clothe yourself at your own expense, that you've been working for approval rather than from approval? In the words of Brogan, as he spoke to us two weeks ago, have you been trying to work for salvation rather than working out of your salvation are you in the wrong clothes do you need to be clothed with the goodness and the perfection and the glory of Jesus today if you're here and you're following Jesus already in what ways is God asking you to respond specifically to these verses today is there an area of your life that the Holy Spirit has just put his finger on over the past few moments and said follow me on this Trust me 
I'm good. It's perhaps some of those things are for you. Secondly, we're called to build community. Now, my encouragement to all of us is just to be all in. We rob ourselves of each other when we, when we, don't, when we choose to opt out. So let's choose today to be all in, even with the restrictions that we've got. Be all in. And let's choose to build the type of community that Jesus is building, where it doesn't matter where you're from, where it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, where it doesn't matter if you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, but we invite people because God issues the invitation. And thirdly, let's ask God today to grow in us love for this city, for this region, or wherever it is that you're watching today. Let's ask God, is he calling us to play a part in seeing this region transformed by being a full-time Christian ministry in your workplace, in your school as you teach, or wherever it is that you work? Is God preparing you to join a church plant to start something new in the city? Is God calling you maybe to move to some of the areas that we've been talking about, to biker and walker and to bless those parts of the city? How is God calling you to love Newcastle today? So can I invite us to stand? We're going to respond together. we pray that most ancient prayer of the church come Holy Spirit of God come Holy Spirit of God teach us afresh what it means to follow Jesus, to build community and to love the place that you've called us and whatever it is however it is that you're responding today my encouragement to you is to say yes to God because all his promises to you in Jesus Christ are yes and amen Mim's going to sing over us just to help us to continue to respond. Um, But do keep asking God, what are you calling me to? How are you calling me to play my part, God, in building your kingdom and showing people that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet that a king has thrown for his son?